0: Turn that power off before you do stuff like that. Good morning. (laughs) Are things falling? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that's fun. Um, Again, um, good morning and welcome, and it's good to be here. Uh, That's me. I can just use nothing. Nothing. I'll just use nothing. Yeah. Oh, this is working now. Right? Yes. There you go. Okay. <laughs> uh. Hello. Hello. On. On. Yeah. Hmm. This is why we try to do this ahead of time. <laughs> <sighs> and um, whoever invented these did not have my ears in mind. Okay. Uh, whoa. <laughs> it just won't stay. don't move Okay. don't blink ha ah. we did the, we did the good morning we did the welcome um, you guys are brave souls driving in this in these conditions and I'm glad you did it's good to be together in God's house um, I wiggled. It. It's coming loose. No. Maybe if I wrap it around my neck, it'll stay. I don't know. Okay. Um Let's think about that feeling you get I've gotten, so I'm not assuming about you. But I know I get the feeling that's not a pleasant feeling when you feel like you just don't fit in. Anybody been there? Just in any one brief lifetime scenario or two-minute scenario, either way, that, hey, I'm a fish out of water here. I'm, I'm not quite um, on the page with other folks, and they're kind of looking at me funny. I'm used to that, but um, you may not be. But it can be a, a painful experience, can't it? Uh, we all have a desire, maybe just a glowing ember of a desire, to know that we are welcome, that we do fit in, that we're accepted, received, and are at home. By the way, home. That's a God concept. People didn't invent that, God did. And how do I know that? Because he's making one for us. (laughs) So that's his idea. And that's why we long for that, a place that we can be at home. Uh, God has built that into each of us. Um, I have cherished memories of those times when I have been welcome and I've been received by friends and family. And the opposite is true as well. There's uh, just as there are painful memories of the times when I've not felt accepted. And I think you guys can relate, yes? Yes, that there's the, the good times and the bad, and a lot of times those bad times have to do with that. Guess who else can relate? Jesus can relate. Um, and that's our, <laughs> that's an exciting thought. That we're not out there on an island alone. Uh, Jesus has been there. Um, the one who made everything there is was unacceptable to his own creation. Hmm. Let's look at n- uh, Luke 9 and 58 together, if you could put that one up. By the way, I'm going to be bouncing around lots of scriptures, but I won't be putting them all up on the screen because I have pity on the sound booth person. But uh, I'll give you the the references as I go. But Luke 9.58 says, Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Does that sound like Jesus has that same feeling that he's just not accepted, not fitting in, not welcomed. Um, It's an interesting location in scripture when he says that. He says that right after he and his disciples come through Samaria, not to the woman at the well, but a different trip through Samaria and wanted to go talk to a village and they rejected him because he was... A Jew going to Jerusalem, that that didn't fly in Samaria. And so they rejected him. So he was rejected there. And then a few verses down the page, he says, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He was rejected. You know, I I got to thinking about (coughs) the various ways, and I'm sure this is just a scratching of the surface, He was rejected twice in the womb. Both by Joseph, until the angel squared him away, (laughs) and then by the innkeeper. He wasn't wanted in the womb. He was rejected in Bethlehem. Herod tried to execute him. He grew up in Nazareth, but he was rejected there. Mark 6, uh, verses 3 and 4 say, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended by him. In another place he says, Blessed are you when you're not offended by me. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. So he was rejected in Nazareth, where he grew up. Um, We know that he was rejected in Jerusalem. Matthew 23, 37 says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often! I wanted to gather, gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And we've already mentioned that he was rejected in Samaria. We talked about that. John 1.10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. Think about that. The one who made everything was rejected by his own creation. And then the next verse in John 1.11, he came to his own people and his own people did not receive him. So when we have that feeling, (laughs) remember how unpleasant that is when we don't fit in? We can look to Jesus, can't we? Because he's been there. He's walked that path. And he made us a promise. We like Jesus' promises. They keep us going in the dark times. Here's one. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Yes, in another place, Paul said, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And that's a form of persecution, that, uh, that rejecting of, uh, of that feeling of welcome, that uh, we don't want you go away, you're not like us, we don't like you. Um, that kind of rejection is part of what Jesus is talking about. But the most painful for any of us, and including Jesus, the most painful rejection and betrayal that Jesus encountered was from his closest friends and his family. So he's been there, he's done that. Don't be surprised when you face the same kind of hurt. In fact, if you've never been in that situation, maybe you ought to check how closely are you actually following. hmm? If we follow him, we're going to get there. If we never face the, those kinds of slings and arrows, maybe we're not following close enough. So think about that. He was betrayed, remember? Um, by Judas? By Peter? And then when the soldiers came, who left? Everyone. Everyone left him. So, some thoughts. What to do about this kind of a situation. We know that Jesus went through it. We know he's invited us to join him. We're, we're told in scripture that we are given the privilege of following him in his sufferings. And that's part of it. So, Here are four things to keep in mind in those moments. You're entering into the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings. Philippians 3 verse 10 says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. We like the idea that Jesus' life is in us. We can live by him, but we're to be conformed to his death. We know more about Jesus when we go through the fellowship of his sufferings together. We can understand him just a little bit better, and he calls us to do that. Secondly, Jesus Christ understands, like I said, he went through it himself. Hebrews 4 and verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. So he's been through it. He's felt everything that we feel. He's suffered more than we'll ever suffer. Um, So when we're in the hard time, we can look to him, can't we? But expect that he'll He'll lead us through some of those times just so we can get the, f- the sense of it, we can get the feeling of it. Thirdly, and I, I keep getting ahead of my points, this is the next point. God brings us to brokenness, in other words, the, that suffering we're talking about. He brings us to that so that we will find our only help and our only strength where? In him. um the most dangerous place any of us can be as Christians is to be in the place where we say thanks lord appreciate it but i got this never mind bad idea <laughs> bad idea even though it may seem like it seem like we've got the situation under control what does jesus tell his disciples and i believe john 15 He says, without me, you can do a few things. You can do the things that you feel like you've got under control. That's not what he said. He said, without me, you can do nothing. And that nothing is nothing. Um, The things that we think we can do, have no eternal weight of glory without doing them through Christ. So that's an important thing to remember. Um, 2 Corinthians 12 familiar passage in verses 9 and 10 says and he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness therefore most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasures in infirmities and in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Jesus is not going to display his power through our strength. He's going to display his power through our weakness. So that's a third reason. First reason, or first thing to keep in mind, let's say, uh, in these uh, times of rejection, we're entering into the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings. Jesus understands he's gone through it himself. God brings us to this place so that we can be broken and then used by him as the kind of vessel that he can actually use. And then the fourth thing. And this one is hard because this goes against our reaction. We like to react. Well, Mm, I'm not going to say that. I don't know what you like to do. I like to react. Fourthly, remember and follow Jesus' example, and that's in first Peter chapter two, verses twenty one through twenty three. For this, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. Jesus is our example in suffering, that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in turn. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but con- committed himself to him who judges righteously. Our example is Jesus, and Jesus didn't react. He didn't take that defense defensive position. Now there are times that we know that Jesus was upset and took action, but it wasn't it was an action, not a reaction. Okay, get the difference? He chose to overthrow uh, the cha- money changers' tables and scourge and clean the temple with whips and whatnot. That wasn't a reaction. That was a planned action. Think about this. Have you ever thought... <coughs> now, this would be... This is not written down here. So this part's free. Um, Have you ever thought how you would have been or if Jesus would have had your or my mindset? My mindset after the resurrection. What would you do? Or what would Jesus have done if he was acting like, I would have acted. I'll tell you what he'd have done. He'd have gone straight back to the high priest and say, hey, remember me? He would have gone to the Romans and say, oop. Nice try, guys. You blew it. He didn't do that, did he? You never hear him say one word about his sufferings after that. He's raised in resurrection power. He doesn't even need to go back and and rehash any of that. It's over. It's done. Paid in full, as he said. So there's an example for us to follow. We don't have to do paybacks. (laughs) In fact, we shouldn't. (laughs) Anyway, those are some thoughts. So when we think about the picture of Jesus' life, foxes have holes, birds have nests, the Son of Man, Jesus himself, doesn't have a place to lay his head down. He told that to a fellow that said, I'll go with you wherever you go. He said, yeah, maybe you want to think about that. Be sure you know what you're getting into. But that's not the end of the story. When he said, foxes have holes, um, that is given to us in Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 10, something else happens. There was one place where Jesus was, in fact, received. There's a village less than two miles from Jerusalem where Jesus was welcome. This village, probably less than 400 people, was obscure, unimposing, tiny. And then just across the ravine, Just across the ravine was uh, the holy city, Jerusalem. Population around 50 to 60,000, compared to like maybe under 400. Um, 50 or 60,000, except during one of the high feasts. There were three feasts of the year that all the Jews were required to come and sacrifice at the temple. In those times, Jerusalem could be two to 300,000. So quite a difference. And here was located the temple. It was the one that Herod built. But Herod tried to be really impressive with it and, uh, and had lots of gold overlay and this and that. It was a sight to see. A lot of beauty from human eyes. That was where the temple was. The robed priesthood, um, they all had their <coughs> holy overalls. Um, they all had uh, their garments that they were supposed to have. You looked at them and it, it was it was right on. It was the way it was supposed to be. There were crowds, there were Pharisees, it was fast-paced, hectic. But that's not where Jesus was welcomed, that's not where he was, he felt at home. There was one place that he could, and that was, anybody remember the name of the town? Bethany. Jesus was at home in Bethany more than he ever was in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was pomp and show and ritual. It was antagonistic to Jesus. Bethany, obscure, small, unimportant, off the beaten path, was where Jesus was received. He was welcomed. We can read about that here just uh, together on, uh, on the screen at Luke 10, starting in verse 38. Now it happened. As they went, he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Welcomed. Another translation says received. Received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus' feet. And... Heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Wow. So, in all the rejection of all the world and everything around him, there was a place where Jesus was received and was welcomed. A couple of things. Um, Again, little side issues. Jesus really loved Martha. Jesus really loved Jerusalem. Jesus really loved Peter. Jesus really loved his father. You go, yeah, I mean, duh. But one of the ways we know that is when he says their name, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Simon, Simon. (laughs) Martha, Martha. My God, my God. It was a way to express deep emotion, deep feeling. Mm -hmm. Jesus really loved Martha. (laughs) Mm. Let's... You know, I'm very, very comfortable. (laughs) Thank you, Dennis. Um, Reading Scripture, sharing Scripture, and believing Scripture. But there's times when we want to get perspective that wasn't written down in Scripture. Who lived in Martha's house? Martha did. Who else? Mary did. Who else? Lazarus Lazarus did. Was there another person maybe? Some people think, and it's not specified. But we do have a story later on that Mary, Martha's sister, broke an alabaster flask and poured spikenard all over Jesus over his head, down his feet, wiped his feet with her hair. And in one place in the Gospels, that is said to be in the house of Simon the leper. So it's possible that Simon the leper lived here as well. An interesting um, concept would be that, and here's kind of a story. This is where we get, you know, imaginative. Some people, preachers like to use, I'm not a preacher, by the way, but preachers like to... uh, to talk about um, sanctified imagination um, so that you can fill in story parts. So that's what we'll try to do a little bit here. Um, Let's say that Simon, in fact, was Martha, Mary, and Lazarus' father. It was his house, but with his leprosy, he was unable to continue being the patriarch, if you will. And so the, the administrative duties passed to his eldest, which was Martha. And Lazarus may not have been, being the firstborn son, would have had that duty, ex- except he may not have been old enough at the time. We don't know. But we do know that Martha is always seen as kind of huh, organizing, shall we say, put it in nice terms. Uh, Martha would be organizing the the activities of the home, but think about this. They're just minding their own business in this little town. Like I said, less than two miles, maybe three kilometers from Jerusalem. So there was a lot of back and forth traffic when they needed to go to Walmart. They had to go to Jerusalem. Um, But they're, like I said, they're in that tiny, obscure little village minding their own business and one day there's a little bit of a commotion. They look down the road and here comes a crowd of people and, and it's that teacher from Galilee who's come and he's healing people. There's sick people in town and he's making them well and there's a commotion as there would be, wouldn't there? I'd go see that, wouldn't you? Lord, this foot hurts a lot, especially when the weather changes. Can you help me out there? Um, More than that. Let's say that somebody in the house saw that and they said, come on, guys, let's go, bring dad. And they all went down to see Jesus and they were watching and Simon wasn't obviously yet uh, quarantined into the leper colony. Everybody knew that he had it, but he was still able to be at home. Uh, And all of a sudden, Lazarus kind of steps forward and says, Jesus, could you come over here? And dad kind of, Simon kind of, hmm. I don't want attention drawn to me. I'm I'm a leper. People don't want to be around me. Jesus comes over and said, what do you want me to do for you? Simon says, I'm a leper. I want to be whole. Hmm. And Jesus heals him. He'll always be Simon the leper in town because that's how they know him. But he's clean, completely healed. It's all gone. How do you think that household responds? <laughs> I think they're excited. I think they're rejoicing. I think they're jumping up and down. Dad is healed. Can you can you visualize? Can you see that? And Lazarus goes up to Jesus and says, Teacher, we'd love for you to come and have dinner at our house. My two sisters here, they're great cooks. We'll put a feast on for you and your disciples. Could you come? Come this evening. Jesus says, yeah, we'll be there about five. And he goes and does more of what he does. Five o'clock rolls around, and... Here comes Jesus. Here comes twelve disciples. And this house has four people living in it. That's seventeen altogether, by the way. Did you do the math? Four plus twelve plus Jesus. Biggest crowd they'd ever had in the house. And Martha has been. Bus- Martha was not really all that happy about Lazarus about noon then when he said what he said. You mean, you mean I got to get ready for 17 people? Come on, man, what were you thinking? And Lazarus say, sorry, sis, but it's the teacher. I want to see him. I want to know more about him. I want him to come to our house. <laughs> what can I do to help? And she says, get me all the firewood you can find. <laughs> we're going to be busy And Mary, come with me. We got to make a run to the supermarket across the ravine and lay in a bunch of supplies. They did all that. And by the time the evening rolls around, here's Jesus with his disciples. And that's where we see this story in Luke uh, 10 and 38. We know that Mary was helping in the kitchen. You know, had you ever thought about that? That all Mary did was just sit down and look at Jesus. No, she was helping in the kitchen. Because Martha says, don't you care that my sister has left me? You can't leave somebody you weren't ever with. So she was with Martha helping. (coughs) But there was... More than just Martha being upset when Mary wandered in to the room where Jesus was talking with his disciples. They were having a meal and he was carrying on the conversation and he was answering questions and they were just soaking it up as you would, wouldn't you? And Mary kept going by the door. And looking in and looking at Martha. And finally she just dropped her pan and went and knelt down in front of Jesus and sat there. A couple of things. That wasn't done. That was not okay. She was a woman. Those, those homes in that day had the women's space, the men's space, which is where Jesus and the disciples were, Lazarus and Simon. And the common space, which would have been pretty much outside if there were children. That's where both a man and woman could be with, with family. But women were not to be in the men's space unless to just bring and serve and then leave again. And the men didn't go spend a lot of time in the women's space either. So there was a cultural... Um, no, no. Uh, that Martha or that Mary, excuse me, um, crossed the line, didn't she? And then a second line she crossed was the religious one, the tradition that said the rabbi who has disciples only has men for disciples. The person who sits at the feet of the rabbi is a disciple. And it's only men. No other rabbi had a woman for a disciple until Jesus came along. Mary wasn't the only one we know of, of the ladies that followed him, but it was not okay, was it? So she, she broke two cultural and religious boundaries, and she also upset her big sister. So that's kind of what's going on here. It, it, there's a big story. There's uh, a lot to it, if, if you can imagine. Because these are real people. They interact with each other. They're a brother and a couple of sisters, maybe dad. And they're in a house together. And there's certain things that happen in those houses or don't happen. The women don't go here. The men don't go there. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. One thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. I'm not going to take her away from sitting and soaking up my teaching, from being a disciple, from learning from me, from tuning her heart to my heart. Anyway. Big picture, Jesus was rejected everywhere but Bethany, and specifically the house uh, of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. By the way, another piece of free stuff here. Um, That village is still there 2,000 years later. And it's an Arab village. Trace could probably tell us more about that, but... Um The Arabic name for that village is El Azariah. and when you run that together, Lazariah, Lazarus, still today, that village is named after the one who Jesus brought back from the grave hmm. <coughs> In Bethany, Jesus was welcomed. He was honored. He was listened to by His disciples. He was given full attention. I don't think they had their iPhones on while sitting at Jesus' feet. Maybe, but I don't think so. They held a dinner party for Him. His friends were welcome. He wasn't made to fit any preconceptions. No wonder he could relax in this village, in this home. He was welcome there, wasn't he? So what's the point of all this? That's a nice story. What does it matter? That's a long time ago. I think the way we we understand this for ourselves is this. I think Jesus wants to be welcomed in our hearts, in our homes, here and now, today, still. So how can we receive Jesus like he was received in Bethany? And this is... uh, Generic, if you will. This is how to fully receive and welcome Jesus. We accept him as our Savior. We receive him. To as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. Hopefully that's us. If not, the door's open. Come on in. But how can we fully welcome him in so that he is at home? and feels welcomed first receive everything that he is yes he's Savior yes he's coming back for us he's gonna take us to where he is that's exciting but he's more than that he's compassionate for lost and dying and hurting and downtrodden souls he wants us to be compassionate as well. He is both compassionate and the perfect sacrifice. He is the bodybuilder. Did you know Jesus was a bodybuilder? Anybody here work out? Uh, My hand is not going up. I do not do that. And I'm not sorry. But um, Jesus is a bodybuilder. Do you ever think of that? Who's Jesus' body? The church. Who builds the church? Jesus does. He's a bodybuilder. That's community. He draws us together. He wants us to be drawn together. Here we are, together. But he's also the one that wants us to go out and take his message to a lost and dying world. He's both King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and He's our Sabbath rest. He's the one we rest in, as well as the one we acknowledge as King. Receive everything that Jesus is. Two, receive everyone that He receives. Romans 15:7 says therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us for the glory of God. And Jesus says in Matthew 10:40 He who receives you receives me and he who receives me receives him who sent me. It's important to Jesus that we treat his children well. That we treat his chi- children as if we were treating him, and I—I'm th- not pounding the pulpit here. I, I think we do a great job here. I don't think we're perfect, most of us, um, but I—I uh, th- I think we do. We do have great fellowship and communion, and uh, with one another, and we receive each other. But think about that: how many? Christians, and we might be some of them here, hear about or read about or see other Christians that do things different. You do go, well, what's wrong with them? You know. They should get a clue. Um, they're Jesus' kids too. And Jesus wants us to receive them. So to receive him, is to receive everything that He is, is to receive everyone who belongs to Him. And then thirdly, to give Him first place. To give Him preeminence in everything. Mm -hmm. He is Lord. And He wants to be Lord. When we invite Him into our house, into our heart, He doesn't want to find any locked doors, any barred, boarded-up cupboards. He wants full access. So to receive him is to give him full access. Here's a thought totally away from Bethany. It's back to here and now. I've used this example once or twice, but not from here, so I'll share it with you. I have a, <clears throat> a a car that I like to drive, but I think I'll sell it. So I go to Jason and I say, Jason, you wanna buy a car? It's, it's a good car, I've kept it up, it runs good, and I'll make you a good price and let's make a deal. So we, we come to an agreement. Jason buys my car, my used car, And I sign the title over to him, and he drives home. And I'm happy. I got Jason's cash. Jason's happy. He's got the car keys. And about two days later, I wander over to Jason's house. Knock, knock. Yeah, what what you need, Tim? Well, I was wondering if I could use that car I sold you. What? It's mine now. Well, I know, but I really like to drive it. Here, let me have the keys and... I'm going to take it for a spin. I enjoy driving that car. And in fact, I think I'll just keep driving it for a while. I'll bring it back when I'm done, but I don't know when that'll be. So I'm just going to enjoy my car. What do you think? Think that's a good deal for Jason? No. For you. Were bought at a price. What price was that? The blood of Jesus. How often do I go back and say, Jesus, I want the keys to that car again. I know I sold you the title, but I want to drive it. I like driving it. I want to be in charge. Not a good plan. Would you take that deal? Mm -mm. Mm-mm. Jason says, no, I wouldn't take that deal. (laughs) But yet, I think Jesus knew that's the deal he was taking, but he took it anyway, didn't he? He expects us to grow into that desire to let him have the keys, to let him operate the vehicle. You were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belong to him. Don't go taking the keys back. So that's the third way that we can receive Jesus. Give him first place in everything. Give him the keys. So Jesus is looking for a Bethany in my heart, in your heart. In the heart of his church, Ephesians three sixteen and 17 says, He would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell, move in, and be at home in your hearts through faith. That's what he wants. In Bethany there were disciples, there were servants, there was worship. Sitting at Jesus' feet and learning of him is a form of worship. Even Martha, Jesus never corrected her for serving. He was blessed and refreshed by her hospitality. He, he did point her to serve from a worship-motivated heart, like her sister's heart. He said, that's a better part. Yes, there's still serving to be done, and yes, you'll do it, and you'll do it well but do it not out of duty or distraction or frustration or looking for accolades. Do it because you love me. Do it because you're in communion with my heart. And Martha got there eventually. He wants our service to flow from our communion with him. That's how his leading and strength are made available to us. In Bethany, Jesus welcomes and defends those who sit at his feet, regardless of the cultural norms or religious traditions. Do you notice in the story, Mary didn't defend herself, but Jesus did. If we wait and trust, he'll defend us too. In Bethany, women have equal access to Jesus. Think about that. In Bethany, there's transformation. There's healing. Simon is healed. There's transformed hearts. We want to sit and listen to Jesus. In Bethany, the only approval that matters is Jesus' approval. Who are we? Whose applause are we chasing after? So how can we be Bethany? How can we be his Bethany? Receive all of who Jesus is. Make him welcome. Let him settle in. Receive all who belong to him. Don't take back what he's paid for. Hmm. Let our discipleship, our following Jesus, let our worship and our service flow out of our relationship and communion with him. Allow Jesus' example to be our guide when we are (laughs) disrespected, rejected, um, persecuted in any way. He, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Let Jesus... Defend us. Allow his life to transform our lives. Do everything for the audience of one, not for this world's honor. There's more to that story, isn't there? Than just, uh, oh, there's a couple of girls that were having a little spat over who brought the food. It's a little deeper. A little deeper that you can go there. Let's be a Bethany for Jesus. A place where he's welcomed, where he's received, where he can feel at home, where he can lay his head. (laughs) Both individually and togetherly. (laughs) For Jesus to be at home. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, Jesus, our teacher, our friend, our example, Lord, our Lord, our King, our Sabbath rest, our Savior. I pray that you would stir our hearts to want to be that place for you where you are at home, where you can be welcomed and received. Thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name.